Let us open God's word with the reading of 1 Corinthians 5 and also 2 Corinthians 1 verse 23 to chapter 2 verse 17. So let us first look at 1 Corinthians 5. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Sorry, that's two Corinthians. Let's start with one Corinthians. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Are you so arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present. With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then, you would not, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, to chapter 2, to verse 17. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not, to, not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you to pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? As I wrote it, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of, my, out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but to some measure, not to be too severe to all of you. 
For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or, you may be, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Everyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for the sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not arrogant of his designs. When I was in Troas to speak the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one fragrance for, from death to death, to the other fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us rise and sing Psalm 95, stanza 1, 3, and 5.
text for this afternoon's sermon is Lord's Day 31. So open with me, Lord's Day 31, which you can find on page 546 of the Book of Praise, and we'll start reading the question and answer 83. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. By these two, the key the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed? By the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and open by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life, are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed all their admonitions, they are forbidden by the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are, they are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever been to the Magic Kingdom? I went once. It was right around the turn, it was right around the time of turn seven. Our family was living in Northwest Territories at the time. So rather than Florida, we went to California. It was January, and California was a nice break from the Arctic winter. But even nicer was Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom. If you've ever been, whether it's Disney World in Orlando or Disneyland in Anaheim, you'll never forget it. The rides, the musicals, the parades, the fireworks. Especially to kids, the Magic Kingdom is an incredible, unforgettable experience. Unfortunately, a lot of what passes for Christianity in our continent is very similar to the Magic Kingdom. A lot of what's out there is closer to the magic kingdom than it is to the kingdom of heaven. Think about it with me for a moment. What does a Disney park exist for? For entertainment and fun. The kingdom of heaven is not about our entertainment. Who can go to the magic kingdom? Who will be accepted? Anyone, unconditionally, as long as you have the money to pay for admission. The kingdom of heaven excludes many. The magic kingdom is casual and easygoing, an environment in which the comfort and 
earthly happiness of people is the highest goal and priority. The kingdom of heaven has other priorities and goals, ones that are focused on the king. The magic kingdom has a message that true joy and the meaning and meaning in life comes from looking down and within. True to its name, the kingdom of heaven wants to orientate us upwards and outwards. We could go on. The kingdom of heaven is the complete opposite of the magic kingdom in all these and in many more. What is the kingdom of heaven anyway? Briefly, it is in a way of speaking about the reign of God. God is the king and he rules over everyone and everything. In this age, however, not everyone recognizes and submits to his rule. In this world, there are rebels and traitors. Meanwhile, there are those who do acknowledge God as king. There are those who worship Christ as Lord. Where do we find these people? We find them in the church. The church is where the kingdom of heaven is revealing itself. So you see, there is a close connection between the kingdom of heaven and the church. They're not exactly the same thing, but they are tightly related to one another. And scripture teaches that in the church, which has been entrusted with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We see that in what we read in Matthew 16. Jesus tells Peter that, we, that he will give him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. At that moment, Peter was representing the apostles. He was representing men who would serve as ministers of Christ's church. And in some way, he was representing the entire church. In these words, Christ was giving power to his church to open and close the gates of the kingdom of heaven. After all, that's what keys are for, aren't they? Keys are used to open and close doors. There are two keys that have been given to the church, the preaching of the word and the administration of discipline. We'll look at both of these this afternoon, which comes to the theme. The church has received keys from her king. We learn about the identity of those keys and the manner in which they are to be used. So first then is the preaching of the word. The church opens the gates of the kingdom of heaven when the gospel is proclaimed. Remember that gospel means good news and glad tidings. It is a message of comfort and hope is a message that we ought never to take for granted. The message is that our sins have truly been forgiven because of Christ's merits. Because of everything that Christ has done in our place, God has forgiven us. That means Christ's sufferings and death, but also it means his, his obedient life and his resurrection. All of Christ's merits Receiving those merits results in God's forgiveness. Again, let's not take that for granted. Forgiveness means that our sins are no longer an obstacle in our relationship with God. When he forgives us, he forgets our sin. In the Bible, that's a term that's always, that always comes in the context of a relationship. He forgets our sins. That means he hurls them into the depths of the ocean. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. 
Then we can have a relationship, a fellowship with God. He is our Father, and we are his children, whom he loves. The kingdom of heaven is opened when the message is not only proclaimed, but is also accepted in true faith. That means that when we hear the good news, we embrace it personally for ourselves. We say, yes, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He lived a perfect life for me. He suffered, died, and rose again for me. I rest entirely in him and in his merits. I trust Jesus for my well-being for now and for eternity. And we do this whenever we hear the gospel message. That means, too, that that gospel message has to be announced again and again and again. It can never be taken for granted. It's no secret that what one generation takes for granted, the next generation will not know about, and the generation after that may even deny. You may think to yourself, well, I've heard that gospel message before. Why does our pastor have to keep saying the same message every Sunday? He uses different words, but it all basically comes down to the same thing. But loved ones, that's the message we all need. The gospel is not something that naturally tickles, that naturally sticks to us. Our tendency is to head for the magic kingdom rather than the heavenly kingdom. We need the gospel to reorientate us again and again. Look with me for a moment at 2 Peter, at 2 Peter 1, verses 12 to 14. And I'll read that. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Peter says, you know that I'm repeating myself, but this is good for you. This is what you need, and I'm going to keep doing it. And that's what the ministry of the word is about. Not giving us novelties that will tickle our ears, but feeding us regularly with meals that are healthy and nourishing, even if they are all very similar to one another. You can trust that these meals will give you the nourishment you need. But there's one more aspect to consider. It has to do with the fact that the congregation is bigger than you. It includes young people and children. I remember growing up in the church. As a child, the odd time I picked up something from a sermon. But a lot of the time, it flew past me and didn't stick. But eventually, I got, an, got to an age where the sermon started reaching me more often than not. Now, what if the pastor had said, well, all of the people have heard this before, so why should I repeat it? The reality was that I was there before, but I hadn't really heard it. And if he didn't repeat it, I wouldn't get it, ever. So think of our young people who are growing into the faith. 
the regular repetition of the promises of the gospel is essential for them. There will always be young people in our congregation who are really starting to get the faith for the first time. It might, it might not be new to you, but it will be new to them. And for all of us, whether young or old, when, whenever we hear the gospel proclaimed, we need to accept it in true faith. When that happens, the doors of the kingdom of heaven are swinging open and we are being pulled in. Loved ones, God's word always has an effect. We see that in Isaiah 55. God says that the word which goes out from his mouth will not return to him empty, but will accomplish what he desires. That includes the preaching of the word too. Whenever God's word is faithfully proclaimed, there will be an effect one way or another. Paul says the same thing at the end of 2 Corinthians 2. There he says that the ministers of the gospel are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. To some, this is a fragrance of life. To others, the smell of death. The word is a sword that cuts two ways. Another way of describing that Another way of describing that this is to speak about the closing of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel comes against a background. The good news is only so good because the bad news is so bad. The bad news is that God will punish unrepentant sinners. The bad news is that an eternal hell awaits for those who do not rest and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Eternal condemnation is the background to the preaching of the gospel. The church is called to warn unbelievers and hypocrites about this coming judgment. In the church, there can be those who do not believe the gospel message. In my calling as pastor in three different places, I've encountered them. Some are forthright about their unbelief and don't even try to hide it. Others are hypocrites, they wear a mask, pretending to be somebody they're not. They pretend to be upstanding church members while in private they live unrepentantly in sin. The strange thing is that most of the time, all these people will continue to come to church and sit under the preaching. They do it because that's what you do if you're a family in the Canadian Reformed Church. They do it because that's what you do if you want your kids to get a moral education at a Christian school. And often there are probably other reasons too. But whatever they may be, there they are, warming a pew. Brothers and sisters, the word, of the, God, the word of God has to be proclaimed to such people too. They need to hear it. As long, that as long as they do not repent and truly believe in Jesus Christ, they are heading for hell. God will judge them both in this life and the life to come. While I do not like to dwell on this point, it needs to be said. If anyone here is not truly believing in Christ alone, if the promise of the gospel goes in one ear and out the other, please hear the warning of the word of God. You are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Out of love, I'm compelled to testify to you what the word of God says. The wrath of God remains on you and eternal condemnation awaits you. 
Brothers and sisters, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Let's all repent of our sins and believe in Christ alone for the forgiveness of all our sins. So the preaching of the word both opens and closes the kingdom of heaven. The faithful administration of discipline works in reverse. It closes and opens the kingdom. That brings us to our second point, the manner in which the keys are to be used. Let's reflect for a moment on the necessity of discipline. Have you ever noticed that in the last 10 years or so, you seldom hear about airliners crashing? It used to be that there would be a couple of big ones every year. It was still quite safe, but the big accidents made a big impression with a lot of people. But today, accidents are very rare, especially considering that even bigger numbers of commercial airlines that are flying than ever before. Why is this? It comes down to something called Cockpit Resource Management, or CRM. Cockpit Resource Management is something that the airlines use to improve safety. There are strict guidelines about what goes on in the cockpit. So, for instance, there, is a certain, there are at certain critical times where the conversation can only be about what is going on with the flight. There is accountability between crew members. There are extensive checklists that need to be followed. Cockpit, cockpit resource management is a key reason why traveling by airline today is absolutely the safest way to travel. In fact, the medical communi community is adopting much of the same philosophy and the same procedures for operating rooms. It's expected that this will save lives in hospitals too. What's the connection with church discipline, you ask? Perhaps some, some of you see it already. In aviation and in medicine, if you just let people do their own thing, the results can be disastrous. Even the world recognizes the value of discipline in certain contexts, for instance, the cockpit or the operating room. The world sees the necessity of discipline to save lives. Likewise, the church needs to see the necessity of discipline for eternal salvation. Letting people go their own way and do their own thing might avoid confrontation and might be the comfortable thing to do, but it is not the loving thing to do. Live and let live might be the way to, of the magic kingdom, but the heavenly kingdom has a different ethos, a different way of approaching things a way guided by scripture. The key passage, of course, is the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 18. That passage speaks to the situation where people who have professed their faith don't live according to their profession. There is no evidence of the union of Christ. The faith that they claim to have does not produce any fruit then church discipline needs to be applied. The, this key of the kingdom begins to do its work, possibly, but not, hopefully not, with the end result that the individual in question is placed outside the kingdom. At the end, unless there is a change, 
the person is placed outside of the congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. Let's review the process as laid out by Christ in Matthew 18 and summarized in the Catechism. Verse 15 talks about sinning against you. So, in other words, there's a personal offense. But from other passages like James 5, verse 19, we know that there is a broader application here. So let's say that you see a brother or a sister and they are doing something that is clearly a sin. This has to be very clear that it is a sin. It can't just be your idea or opinion that what they are doing is wrong. You have to be able to point out what the Bible says. Then what do you do? Well, you don't go and talk to other people about it. Matthew 18 is clear that you have to go and talk about it with your brother or sister face to face. That means the telephone is out. Even more obviously, email is out too. Telephone and email have no place in a serious matter like this. Neither does Facebook or texting or what have you. You need to sit down face to face and not in front of other people. In private, you need to talk about it with the other person. You want to see them, you want them to see what they are doing wrong and you want them to repent, have a new way of thinking about their sin, about God, and about themselves. And if, and, and if they hurt anybody with their sin, we want to see them to go to those people and ask for forgiveness. Hopefully, they'll listen and do these things. But what happens if they don't? You have to keep going to them over and over. And if they still don't want to listen, then the Lord Jesus tells us to bring along another believer or two. We have to keep trying to get them to repent of their sins. And, th and if they still won't listen and repent after trying over and over, then and only then, you have to bring them to the elders of the church. First, you have to try to deal with it on your own. But after you've done everything you can, then you can go to the elders of the church and then they have to deal with it. And again, the way to do that is by having a face-to-face -face meeting with your ward elder. So the elders will keep trying to get the person to repent. But if they still will not listen, then certain steps are followed. First, there will be what we call silent censure. That's when a person is withheld from the Lord's Supper. At that point, nothing is made public. If things do not improve, then the consistory makes the first public announcement. In this announcement, the name of the sinner is not mentioned and the congregation is urged to pray and admonish. With the second announcement, the church goes to a classes for advice first. With a, with a when the classes has heard the case, they will either advise the church to hold off or continue with the second announcement. Finally, there is a third announcement in which a date is set for excommunication. That means they will be removed from the fellowship of the church. Again, that means they are being removed from God's kingdom and by God himself. 
the door of the kingdom of heaven is closed on them and they are locked out. But that door can be opened again. When the person has a change of thinking about their sins and a change of life, which shows that they really believe in Christ, then they can be welcomed back to the church. They, they can confess their sins and be re readmitted. In our book of praise, we have a form for readmission into the church of Christ. Some of the happiest moments in church life happen when that form gets read. Then the door of the kingdom of heaven is being opened again with the key of church discipline. Brothers and sisters, we have this teaching of our Lord Jesus. This key of discipline is given to the church for our good. It's because our Savior loves us and wants us to stay on the right path. And so this key also has to be used with love by the church as well. The goal of discipline is always the repentance and return of the sinner. It's not punishment for the sake of punishment, out of anger or retribution. Rather, it's discipline that's meant to lead the straying sheep in the right direction, away from danger and destruction. It may not be pleasant, but again, keep in mind what happens when we just let people go their merry way and do their own thing. In his book, Stop Dating the Church, Joshua Harris has a set of questions for the people who ask as they are looking for a permanent church home. One of the questions is, would this church love me enough to kick me out if I were, being, if I were to be living in sin? We are not looking for a church home, but we can ask a similar question of ourselves. Do we love one another? to go after one another if we see someone living in sin? As office bearers, the elders have to ask the same kind of question. If someone is living in sin, do we love them enough to, key, to use this key of the kingdom of heaven? You see, it's all about love. Loved ones, we can be thankful that Christ has given us these keys we can be thankful for the preaching of the gospel. Without it, how would we know Christ? We can be thankful for the discipline of the church. Without it, how would Christ draw us back to himself? Should we stray? If both of these things, in both of these things, we see the wisdom of our Savior and his love for us. Let's be thankful and let's be earnest and diligent so that the preaching is always opening the kingdom for us, so that it and discipline never close the kingdom to us. Amen. <laughs>